Last week we were doing, we were talking about meta-practice. Last no, week? That was no, no, that was, that was a week ago. So this is a chant which talks about the um, qualities of loving-kindness, compassion, uh, sympathetic joy, and equanimity, serenity. So this is all in the Pali language. So uh, I'm pretty sure that most of you won't understand most of it. <laughs> um, but the, uh, we'll do it again in English at the end of the evening so you can find out, who <laughs> find out the plot uh, later on. Um, but it's uh, recounting the qualities uh, and the encouragement to send forth these, uh, these four um, sublime, beautiful states of, of mind, uh, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, to, uh, to all corners of the, of the universe. Anvayang chaturapamanyaho bhasanang Karomase Chetasahekang Tatayasabhavandang Metasahagatena chetasavipolena mahagatena apama nena haverena bayapa jena paritava Viharati karuna sahagatena chetasa ekang disparitava viharati tata dutiyang tata tatiyang tata chatutang itiyo dhammado dhiri Sabati sabatataya sabhavandhang lot karuna sahagatena chetasa vipulena mahagatena hapamanena hawe rena bayapa jena paritava viharati mudita sahagate cheta sahe kang disang paritava viharati tata dutiyang tata tatiyang tata chatutang itiyo dhammado thiri Sabati sabatataya sabhavandhang lokang mudita sahagatena chetasa vipulena mahagatena apamanena rena bayapa jena paritava viharati upeka sahagate chetasahe kang disang paritava viharati tatadati 
ಚುತಿ ಸಾಬತಿ ಸಾಂಬಾತೇನ Yes. So uh very um happy this evening to bring along uh, uh uh other members of our community. We had different people coming along at different sessions as these. Um there's plenty of room down the front here if you wish to find space. Lots of room. So uh, on my right is uh, Ajahn Sundara and she is uh, one of the um, senior nuns of our community. She's been staying here in the States for about a year and a half, most of the time at Abhayagiri Monastery, but uh, coming and going and teaching in different places around the country. Um, and uh, so she's, um, we've uh, co-taught retreats and done events together many times in the past. And uh, on my left is Venerable Jyoti Palo, who's uh, Uh, slightly more recently hatched. He's uh, a homegrown all-American bhikkhu, uh, monk, and uh, from Indiana. He's a Hoosier. <laughs> Perhaps the first Hoosier Theravadan monk on planet Earth. <laughs> you never know. Um, but uh, So he uh, went forth into the monastic life at Abhayagiri. Uh, he met... Uh, me at uh, a retreat center uh, uh, in uh, Massachusetts a few years ago and then came out to the West Coast and has uh, launched uh, himself into the great spiritual adventure at uh, Abhayagiri and has been a monk for a couple of years now. So We haven't got him teaching yet, so he's just a silent presence <laughs> for the time being. We have plans. <laughs> <laughs> we all have plans, don't we? Right. So, uh, um, this evening, um, uh, as I've uh, prefaced all of these gatherings, um, some people are, uh, have been coming along to many of these uh, evenings, others may be new for the first time, so we try and let each of these evenings stand on their own, but um, also building on uh, what has gone before somewhat. And uh, if... Uh, anything is unclear or, or uh, presumes too much or I'm using too much jargon, then uh, please just um, let, me, you know, let us know and uh, we can clarify things. Because really these, these classes are for you. And so if, uh, if you're not really able to derive the full benefit from them, then just let us know and we can help to um, make things as, as understandable and usable as, as possible. So the, the subject for this evening is uh, wisdom and compassion. And like one of the qualities we were just reciting, like last week we talked about loving-kindness, metta in the Buddhist language. Uh, and uh, the second of those, those sublime qualities is karuna, which is compassion. And uh, 
in many ways, compassion and wisdom are, are sort of necessary counterparts for each other. So I'll uh, very briefly try to kind of outline what those two main uh, principles are about and how we apply them in terms of, of meditation. Uh, perhaps to start with, with compassion, um, this is uh, a um, probably uh, I think it's probably come up a couple of times during the during the sessions we've had so far that uh, when we are um, when we think of the word compassion in English, then we tend to think of that as a state of of um, uh, of empathy. But oftentimes, that if we are, are compassionate for some other person or people or other beings, then we are suffering along with them. So that the word compassion, the etymology of the English word compassion, literally means to suffer with, compassio. So, uh, what's? Uh, and we, I remember we did touch on this a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, so what is different about the Buddhist concept of compassion is that it's a profound and complete empathy. But uh, the Buddha pointed out, if you're suffering because of experiencing or practicing compassion towards another, you haven't got it quite right. <laughs> so that it's a profound empathy for the suffering of other beings, but yet you are not suffering. So like many areas of Buddhist practice, uh, we don't uh, have the... Uh, in our, our kind of Western English-speaking Judeo-Christian mindset, um, we don't really have a, a, a conceptual place or a structure or, or a word that quite encompasses that. Maybe empathy is a is is close, but it's a there's, it's a bigger picture than that. So one has to, in a way, talk around the uh, the quality and describe how it works. And then we let a, a sense of its meaning formulate and, and constellate within us. Well, probably one of the, the best ways of, of uh, speaking about compassion is using the, um, the imagery from the northern Buddhist tradition, um, which you have represented here in, in uh, Ukiah, in, in this town, by the city of 10,000 Buddhas, is a, a, a very substantial uh, presence representing the, the northern Buddhist tradition out of China and a very key figure in their spiritual life and practice is the figure of Guan Yin probably well known to most people here um, often represented as like an elegant feminine uh, figure and uh, the uh, the word Guan Yin or uh, the, to give the full name Guan Xi Yin literally means uh, the one who listens to the sounds of the world in the Sanskrit, that's Avalokiteshvara, the one who, who listens to, the one who, who regards the sounds of the world. So this is the, in a way, right in the name, is uh, uh, encapsulated, is embodied, the real spirit of, of what we mean by compassion in, uh, in Buddhism, because it's really that, that listening heart, the, that which can attend to all things, that which is receiving and uh, taking in the, 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 the beautiful as well as the ugly, the painful and, and difficult. It's like that which is, is uh, attentive, is knowing, is allowing it all in and is not reacting to it. It's not getting swept away by the, the, um, the, the beautiful. It's not getting swamped by the, the painful or, or the ugly. Uh, it's not being carried off on a, a tide of 
tears of, uh, for the, the pain that other beings are experiencing, as a full listening and attending to that. Um, so that, that when we, we say in Buddhist iconography, would say that Guanyin is an embody is like the, the bodhisattva or the embodiment of of compassion, but um, as is uh, the case throughout the Buddhist world, rather than just having deities that we we revere and worship, like uh, saying having a, a Buddha image and, and having a shrine where we, we look at uh, uh, Gautama Buddha as uh, the sort of teacher, if if we don't internalize that, then that becomes a a kind of um, uh, a half-formed, a half-baked um, practice. So that it's not just a matter of, of looking at, at external beings or objects and revering them and, and, and say, idealizing that. Certainly looking up to compassion as an ideal. But the main point is to internalize that and to uh, discover that quality, that listening heart within ourselves and to really cultivate and develop that. So with the, with the meditation uh, practice, we'll, we'll look into that somewhat. So this quality of compassion is really, in a sense, it's identifying with the whole universe, with all other beings. Um, and uh, it's like saying, in a way, everything is self. I, I am, it's like expanding the heart to include everything and to create that, an, an empathy or a, an identification with, a, an attunement, an openness to, to all things. So that uh, one way of describe, or talking about that is to say, um, everything is self. Um, the, uh, and the, the wisdom teachings, uh, which I'll get onto in a, a moment, is, uh, is the opposite of that. So that the, um, when we are, are, uh, are talking about the development of, of wisdom, then we take the complete reverse picture, which is that of nothing is self which you might think, oh, these Buddhists are so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of true to form. It's like even in the time of the Buddha, there were people from different sects who said, these shaveling disciples of, of, of the Buddha, you just can't get a straight answer out of any of them. <laughs> like either, everything, either everything is self or nothing is self. Now, come on, decide, will you? Make up your mind. But in a way, the wisdom and compassion are like the wings of a bird that we have to have you know, both these elements to, to really form the two. In fact, the word Lama in Tibetan, um, the word uh, La it comes from the word for wisdom, and Ma is, comes from the word for compassion, so that the word Lama, meaning a spiritual teacher, spiritual figure, actually is like embodied. Uh, these two qualities are, are reflected right in the very name for that. So also in the verses of uh, the Chinese, uh, the third Zen patriarch from China, uh, in his verses, there's a, a few lines that go, uh, in, this in this world of suchness, there is neither self nor other than self. So that the, um, in a way, pointing to this, this mysterious, uh, ineffable reality that we are, that you can look at it from one respect, from the sort of compassion side, and say, everything is self. I, you know, I am the universe. I, what I am is is connected to everything in the universe, mental and physical. That I am uh, not just me, Ajahn Amaro, I mean you too. <laughs> I mean, every, we are all nature. We are all connected to all things of the natural order, physical and mental. 
Um, but the counterpart of that is, uh, it, uh, is that of the expression of nothing is self, that nothing is, um, you can't say that uh, ev you know, anything is truly and absolutely what we are as an individual. So the wisdom teachings um, point to the, this other angle of approach. It's rather like saying, if I hold up my hand like that, and I say, I'm pointing to the left. You say, no, 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 you're pointing to the right. You say, no, no, I'm pointing to the left. It's right in front of my eyes. I can see. You say, no, 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 you're pointing to the right. Yeah, I can see too. Uh, so that we're both looking at the same thing, but we're looking at it from a different angle. So what we're doing with these, this, this kind of pair of approaches, like the left wing and the right wing, they're opposites to each other. They're mirror images of each other. But yet they're, they're also a, an identical shape, right? So wisdom and compassion work like that. In a way, they're, they're mirror images of each other, but they're also, they emanate from the same source. They come from the same body of the bird, and they, um, they're both needed to, to fly. So that uh, if the language gets confusing or you, you're kind of getting stuck on, on these different expressions, then you know, we can uh, talk a little bit more about that and try and explain. So we, we, when we were talking about knowing and thinking, a couple of weeks ago, and we touched on this area of insight meditation practice. And so that this is really where we uh, are aiming to develop the quality of wisdom. And what this means is that we're developing that, that uh, drawing upon that quality of knowing, of awareness, which understands, uh, sees um, all of the patterns of our experience in terms of uh, evanescent uh, changing phenomena. Like so that um, we are looking at the world of thought, of feeling, of mood, of memory, of ideas, of the feeling of self, the impressions of the world outside, the sights, sounds, smells, tastes, uh, physical sensations of, of the world outside, beginning to look at all of these as things that are experienced here within our awareness. And that rather than focusing upon the, the content, like this is a beautiful thing, or that's a, a, person sitting out, that's a person sitting outside, this is a thought that's on the inside, this is an ugly thought, that's a, a, an ugly uh, shape, that's a, a, a beautiful light, that's a, 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 an interesting color. We uh, are withdrawing the attention from the, the content of particular experiences, and with a development of wisdom or insight, we're looking at the very process of experience itself. So that we're deliberately withdrawing, like extracting the interest from the content, like beautiful, ugly, inside, outside, and just looking at things, uh, all things, all experience, in terms of its universal characteristics of, of transiency, of change, of uncertainty, of selflessness, that, uh, and of uh, unsatisfactoriness which is to say that uh, we're learning to, to see that, that, that no thing, no thought, say, can truly be uh, who and what I am, no feeling, no even the, f the sense of self, the feeling of I, me, and mine, which seems so solid and, and matter-of-fact, kind of everyday reality to us, that when, when that's really looked at, we be can begin to see, oh look, that feeling of self arises, it's known by the awareness of, of this mind, we know it, it's a feeling. But that feeling of I is just another feeling like any other feeling. It comes, it does its into being, it does its thing, 
and then it fades away. Um, what is it that knows that feeling? If what's being known is the feeling of self, then, then who is it that's knowing it? Uh-huh. And, and who is it that's knowing the knowing of that? And, and so on. You know, great fleas have lesser fleas upon their backs to bite them. Little, you know, little fleas have lesser fleas, and so ad infinitum. <laughs> we have these kind of endless succession, it seems like. Well, how far back do you go? So what we're doing with, with this um, process is like realizing, well, the back wall is actually the quality of knowing itself and not the idea of, of knowing, that we can, we can rest the heart in that quality of awareness. And that we begin to see that more and more of the things that we ascribe the quality of self to or other to, like a thought or a feeling or a shape or a sound or a, a memory, an idea, that we can't actually find any substantial quality of permanence or stability or, or individuality within that. That all of the things that we normally think of as me and mine, my possessions, my name, my social security number, yeah, my, my, my story, my future, uh, my body, my thoughts, my emotions, that when we try and look for the thing which is the owner, we can't find any separate definable substance or quality or, or uh, located factor which actually is that. There's the knowing and then there's this parade, this procession of experiences out of which some of, w out of, some of which we, we form me, out of some we, we form the world, we form you, we form Thursday evening at Sunhouse. We formulate these different uh, conventional realities. So the wisdom, whereas the compassion is like uh, listening to everything and saying, saying, and I am everything, um, then uh, or everything is self, then the wisdom is saying, well, nothing is self. So it's like generating this kind of uh, tenuousness, or you can say there's a like a um, seeing that the that feeling of solidity is something that is as a conventional reality. It has, it's got a, a, um, a partial truth to it. And that uh, as soon as we solidify that and say, I am this person, I am Ajahn Amro, I know that. So everyone tells me, when they call my name, <laughs> that's what they're referring to. It's, it's on the, it's on the, the cards, <laughs> it's on the book, you know. But uh, one of the most interesting kinds of meditation to do is to just meditate on your own name. Just to say, and I, this is a, it gets a little eerie after a while. <laughs> when you concentrate the mind and just focus the attention, uh, just calm the mind down, and just say your name very kind of clearly and steadily, just once or twice, just saying your name, just without even an I am in front of it, just your name, like Susan, Amaro. Even just saying it out loud to all of you, it's like Amaro. That sounds pretty strange. <laughs> when we say our name to ourselves, suddenly it, like, it starts to get, feel a little peculiar. Like, well, what is Cheryl? What is that anyway? And we begin to see that the thing that we are referring to is actually much, much bigger than the collection of personality, the body, and all these memories and ideas that we think of as me. So what we're doing with the wisdom teachings is that we're trying to break up that habitual 
limitations that we create on me, I am this individual, I live in this place, I am this body, I am this personality, boom, that's what I am. It's like breaking up those habitual limits to let the heart awaken to, well, the reality is actually much, much, much bigger than that, much more than that. So, if we obsess on the wisdom teachings, then um, we can get a bit too spacious. And uh, uh, in a way, um, can get disconnected from the world, from our body, from the uh, simple practical realities of, of living. If we obsess too much on the compassion side, we can get incredibly busy <laughs> and fried with all of the good works that we're doing and caring for all beings on the planet. Like, there's a lot of insects to save out there. <laughs> you know, there's a heck of a lot of bugs. If we're out to save all sentient beings, there's a, there's a heck of a lot of us in the queue. <laughs> so we can get very busy and exhausted and, and drawn out. So that these two, even though they seem paradoxical, like the left wing and the right wing, they need each other, even though they're mirror images. And so to the rational mind, it can be highly frustrating. Like, well, which is true? They can't both be true. But it's, this is the wonderful thing about the middle way, which we've touched on a number of times during these classes, is that the middle way is like that which encompasses both of these um, kind of partial realities, or these conventional realities, or these, uh, so if you like, contingent or, or determined realities. So that's just to give you a little bit of a sort of philosophical background, um, if you like, um, to talk in terms of the meditation techniques that we'll, we'll be describing. One of the, um, perhaps to start with compassion and listening, um, when, once one has established a, a degree of concentration, the attention being able to, to um, stay reasonably steadily in the present moment, then as anyone who's meditated for more than five minutes, or even probably more than a minute <laughs> ever, will have noticed there's a certain amount of chattering that, go, that goes on. No? Uh, we have, a, we have a, someone up the front row here with no chattering. We all experience this kind of uh, internal monologue, dialogue, multilogue. The members of the committee do not wait for each other to shut up before they chime in with their own piece. So the, the inner committee members kind of burble along. So as we train the mind to, to concentrate, and, and uh, uh, we find these different inner voices are coming up voices of excitement, what I really want is, or voices of criticism, I'm a really useless person, or voices of anger, like, when I get my hands on him, I'm going to tell him, voices of regret, you know, if I hadn't have done such and such back when I was 19, it would all have been really, really different, <laughs> if I hadn't have done that one really dumb thing, if I could just rewrite the past. Just today I was talking at length with someone about writing scenarios for the future. And uh, probably the first five or six years of my monastic life, I spent incredible amounts of time scripting the future. And, um, and so this woman was asking, well, well how did you t stop doing that? I said, well, after five or six years of watching this happening, and not one single time <laughs> did reality ever comply with my plan, that sometimes I would very determinedly follow my script. And even when the other actor didn't get their lines right, 
I would continue with the script that I'd written, and they still got their lines even worse wrong. I would just push ahead and, and come out with the, you know, with the, the third set of responses. By this time, so far off the track of what the other person was saying, that uh, I would I'll give in and actually listen to them. <laughs> After five or six years of seeing it never work, just the law of natural selection kind of came in and said, just give it up. <laughs> So this, uh, this practice of compassion on a very personal and internal level, what we can do is we can learn how to listen to our own mind, listen to the voices of the inner committee. Anyone who's ever sat in on a committee or any kind of group process, process, <laughs> process, this is California, I must remember. <laughs> so any group process, there's a great variety of opinions and voices you have the assertive, aggressive ones, the logical, reasonable ones, the emotional, um, feeling ones, the, uh, the, the quiet, um, sensible ones, the passive, aggressive ones, the outright, you know, wild ones. The whole team are out there. So compassion for ourselves can often be most effectively grounded in just like learning to listen to all these different voices of our, that pop up in our character. And so that um, oftentimes we're trying to get the, the internal voices just to, to sort of shut up and be quiet. And uh, so as we've said, with like loving-kindness practice and with meditation training generally, the more that we try and suppress things or push them away, the more life we give them. Like um, with pesticides, you know, the, the, the pesticide manufacturers are usually about a year or 18 months ahead of the bugs. And they have to keep developing new new uh, poisons because the bugs just keep selecting and, and, and the, the toughest survive. So we're, we're consistently breeding, breeding these uh, super bugs. Yeah. So the mind is exactly the same. That we, If we wade into it with pesticide, we just keep making the problems stronger. So that one of the ways, rather than pushing away the repetitive thoughts or obsessive thinking or uh, habitual voices of the mind, Things that we, we take to be absolutely true or valid judgments or things that are just irritating intruders, obsessive thoughts, one of the ways we can work with them is actually getting them to speak up. Rather than sort of pushing them aside and getting them to stay in the wings, we say, please, center stage, put on the lights. Yes, speak up, tell me your story, what do you want to say? And often just that gesture in itself can be enough to make it you know, shut up. <laughs> Because you ruin the show with all the art, with all the, the the bright lights on, you can see all the wrinkles and the yeah, and the strings that are that are pulling it. So what can what can be murmuring along in the back of our mind is like, I'm really a useless meditator. I should give this up. What what, what was I going to have to suffer anyway? Oh, I know. So get it to center stage means to say, I am spelling it out for ourselves. You concentrate the mind, make it quite clear and steady, and then say. I am a failed meditator. I am useless at this. This has no value whatsoever. Other people are good meditators. I go to these retreats. I go to these classes. Everyone is much more peaceful than me. I know that. Like even as you say it, kind of deliberately, it's like, yeah, right, come on. Your heart knows that's not the whole story. 
But when it's not fully conscious and clear, we still believe it and we can be guided and influenced by that. So even though it might be saying something that we, in a way we don't want to hear, it's by saying it out loud that we can hear it most clearly. And it, you know, there can be many things that, that the mind obsesses on. Self-criticism isn't the only thing, it's just a particularly common one. Um, Ajahn Sumedho, our, our teacher, um, has often referred to an obsessive thought that he had in his, his first year as a novice. Uh, when he was just living in a hut by himself for a year in northeast Thailand, out of absolutely nowhere this thought floated, Gwendolyn, what are you to me? And he thought, Gwendolyn? I don't know any Gwendolyns. I never met a Gwendolyn in my life. So that's a stupid thought, you know, get out of here. So then, Gwendolyn, what are you to me? She came back. <laughs> and the more he tried to push this away, the more this, this ridiculous thought kept returning. And so that uh, you know, he, he uh, had to learn a lot about obsessive thinking and, and this kind of method of reflection. So that um, these ways that the mind creates a sense of self, um, we can use this form of, of phrasing things out loud just to listen. The uh, inflated judgments. Well, actually, you know, as meditators go, as spiritual people go, I really have to admit <laughs> that I am just a bit ahead of pretty much everyone I know. <laughs> really. I mean, when we're honest about it, I am quite something. <laughs> you know, the unthinkable thought. But again, when we say that out loud, then when what, what happens in the heart is like the same kind of voice that says, oh, come on, <laughs> that is not the whole story. <laughs> but again, we, we can not know that. We're not fully conscious that we don't really tap into that unless we, we, we learn to listen. And so then, by developing this kind of direct compassion and listening to our own thoughts, our own judgments and our own obsessions, um, that or just saying something like, if I hadn't done that when I was 17, my life would have been fine. I know. As, and then just to, to state that, you know, it might have been there for 30 years, that thought, that belief. And until that moment, it's like you'd never listen to the voice in the heart which says, come on. <laughs> It might have been different, but you know, there's no guarantee it would have been any better. <laughs> and your heart knows that. So it's like tapping into that intu intuition which is underneath the habitual beliefs and judgments and so on. So then the wisdom aspect of, of, of meditation, which we, we touched on a couple of weeks ago, is really empowering this process of, of looking at every thought, every feeling, so that even though we're using deliberate thought and we're saying these um, statements about ourselves or listening to these judgments about the world or about um, ourselves. But the, the, the wisdom teaching, the wisdom practice is really about, yes, those are, are there, but it's a way, in a way, deliberately emptying those out and seeing whatever comes to mind as being uh, ephemeral, as, uh, as, as changing, as, as selfless. 
so that um, when a, a thought comes to mind, then to apply wisdom or to develop wisdom, insight is to then reflect, uh, this is something that's changing. Who does this really belong to? Does this thought have an owner? This feeling of this pain in my leg. I say, ow, this, my leg is hurting. Well, that's a feeling. Feelings come and go and change. What is it that knows that? Does this feeling have an owner? Is it really mine? What is the thing that makes it mine? What is it that it is the owner? Just taking simple statements like that, little lines of inquiry, very slowly, very steadily, as we sit, and then watching the effect of that. And we say, say that, oh, when I call it my pain, then it's got a kind of cramped, impacted quality. When I just call it the experience of pain, then somehow there's, a, there's some space around it, which there wasn't before. When it's just you know, a, a feeling, a pain. The pain is still painful, but there's some space around it. This is what we mean by insight or wisdom. It's like recognizing that the, um, the spacious, natural quality that all, all experience has tapping into that, and particularly letting go of the sense of, of I and me and mine in relationship to that, so that we dig sort of la you know, layer by layer to uh, that the things that we make uh, complete blanket assumptions about that are mine, like my memories, my ideas, my personality, my heart, right down into the, the, the nitty-gritty or uh, you know, into the, the deepest reaches then to, to just keep dropping in that gentle kind of reflection, well, when I say my, what does that mean? Who, what is it that, that owns this? Does this really have an owner? And with these kind of questions or, or probings, we're not looking for a verbal answer. In fact, if you get a verbal answer, it's the wrong one. <laughs> so when, you, when we ask a question like, what is it that knows this? Um, we're asking that kind of question to break up the habitual reaction or habitual response of, well, me, of course. <laughs> when we really pose that kind of question in the spaciousness of awareness, then for a moment, again, the heart knows, oh, there's just this knowing. It's not really a person. It's not an individual. It's, it's like a, a formless quality of, of, of being, of awareness. That's all. And without even verbalizing that much, just like you, you ask the question or you make the statement to break up the habit, and then the point is just to let the heart rest in that quality of, of knowing. So that in this we're drawing together the, the aspect of, of, uh, of compassion, of like allowing everything in, listening to all these different attributes of our, of our own being, of the world. And then the wisdom element is like emptying them out, seeing through them. So that this is what uh, brings us to the, the middle, this uh, sacred, wonderful middle. So uh, if you'd like to uh, stretch your legs for a moment, and then we can have the, the sitting period.
Just about half an hour. I was talking a bit longer than usual. We started because the chanting we kind of began a bit later. Just to begin by taking a moment to bring the attention into the posture and let the body settle down, allowing the spine to to stretch, to lengthen to a comfortable upright position, and setting the rest of the body relax completely around that. giving ourselves permission to be at ease, to settle.
whole body relax. <coughs> the muscles of the face and the shoulders, stomach, wherever in the body you might find any kind of tension. Just consciously let yourself soften. And bringing uh, the attention to the feeling of the breath. Not trying to change it in any way, just feeling the body breathing in its natural rhythm. Just let the, the sensation of the breath be a, a central marker, a focal point for our attention. Just following the breath fully as we can, each inhalation, each, each exhalation. Now the mind's tendency is to towards distraction. Its habit is to grab hold of a sound or a feeling or an idea, grab it and create a whole story out of it. Go and run with it. So as we, we notice this happening, then whenever we find the mind has, has run away, become caught up, distracted, then we train ourselves to, to notice that, awaken to that feeling of distraction, and to consciously let go release what it is that the mind has grabbed hold of and just to return to the, the present moment marked by the, the feeling of the breath.
Or when you find this, the mind is, is launching into some train of ideas, some story, that's particularly convincing or strong, then as we were describing about listening to the mind, let's cultivate this quality of, of just listening to what the mind is saying. If it won't respond to just being let go of, something comes back and insists on chattering away. Rather than trying to, to push it aside, then consciously just bring it into the center, let it say its thing. Spell out what I want what I fear, the way so-and-so should be. As that comes up, consciously spell it out, listening to that, allowing that in. listening with a tender heart, receptive heart. Taking it in, knowing it, letting it go. You might find that 
as you spell something out, like, I could be explaining this better. As you finish phrasing that statement, then let the out-breath carry that away. Let the heart return to silence. might be, whether it's something personal or whether it's the sorrows of the world, the wars and terrible conflicts. They come to mind, they well up within the heart. Whatever it might be, just to, as we see the heart surging after some feeling, some idea, some image. This way of listening is allowing it into the heart, giving it voice, phrasing what's going on. And in that, in that act of phrasing it, framing it, to see the, the way it's transformed, what happens when we do that.
uh, to apply the the wisdom element, the insight element, then if the mind is, is steady enough, stable enough, then with whatever we experience in the way of perception, what we hear, what we feel in the body, what thoughts arise, whatever it might be, to reflect on all of it, the whole array. As we let go of the obsession with the content in this way, deepening, filling out that quality of wisdom in saying, reflecting, this is uncertain, transient. ownerless. Who does this belong to, this moment? Is there an owner? So arousing this quality of knowing, of investigation, of wisdom, not to figure everything out, but to help the heart more and more fully rest at this spacious, welcoming, of open-hearted awareness. Being that open-hearted awareness. Welcoming everything in, gathering everything in. unpossessive, letting go of everything, seeing the transparency of all things. assumptions we make about ego and self, we can do that meditation just on thinking of our own name. Say, this is called Amaro's mind, or I am Sundara. Mary, Mary, and just listen to that 
attend to that response of the heart that, that, that manifests, that knows, what the heck's a Mary? Atma Ro. Huh? Like suddenly seeing through something that was thought to be opaque. Seeing its transparency. And letting the heart rest in that greater spaciousness, brightness. 